What's going on, good people? Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. I hope you guys all had a wonderful, fantastic, amazing week. My guest this week is a 10-year NHL player. That's the National Hockey League, played 10 years for multiple different teams, uh, grew up in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, as a lot of great hockey players come from the state of Minnesota, grew up in White Bear Lake, played 10 years in the NHL, got to start with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, then he went on to Carolina, Florida, New Jersey Devils, and finished up back at home with the Minnesota Wild and is now one of the current color commentators for the Minnesota Wild on Bally Sports North. Uh, his name is Ryan Carter. Ryan Carter uh, appears also on iHeartRadio, KFAN radio station here in the Twin Cities, and talks all things wild, hockey, everything that you need to know. Uh Ryan and I get right into it from the very beginning, kind of deep. We get kind of deep. Um, one of the biggest things that I think affects both the hockey world and the football world is concussions. And we were talking about concussions and just sort of that that world uh, before I hit record. And then I said, hey, why not just start the conversation right there? It sounds like he had some, he was very introspective, uh, had some ideas, had obviously thought about it himself personally. So why not put that uh, on air and just record it? So that's where we start off with. And then we sort of get into, you know, his life, what it was like kind of being this fringe player, always being on the bubble, the grind that he had to go through to carve out a 10-year NHL career. Uh, we also talk about the Minnesota Wild, the state of the Minnesota Wild, uh, what they're going to do with their with their stud player, young player, Kirill Kaprizov, what that all means, and he gives his two cents as well. You're going to find that Ryan is, like I said, uh, a deep thinker, a guy that doesn't mind going uh, deep into the weeds with something, really giving something a lot of thought, and he really focuses in on the psychological and mental part of sports and what it takes to be great at said sport, not just from the physical standpoint, but also from the mental side of things. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Here he is, Ryan Carter on Unrestricted. This Unrestricted podcast is brought to you by Douglas and Todd Bourbon, a Minnesota-made through-and-through bourbon. It is made, manufactured, grown, distilled, bottled all right here in the great state of Minnesota, but not exclusive for Minnesota drinkers. You can go to douglasandtodd.com, find the store locator in the upper right-hand corner, and find the nearest liquor store that supplies Douglas and Todd throughout the country. That's right. It's an award-winning, a gold medal-winning bourbon made right from the great state of Minnesota, distributed across the country. I'm not going to get into all the notes. I'm not that qualified to tell you all the notes of caramel and oakiness and all that stuff. Just trust me. It's the best bourbon that you're ever going to have. It's made right here in the great state of Minnesota. Douglas and Todd bourbon at douglasandtodd.com. What's up, Ryan? Hey, Ben. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Let's, um, let's just jump in right from where we were talking offline. You, you and I were discussing concussions, you know. Why, why not come in on a <laughs> in the morning, say say hi, how you doing, and go right into a deep conversation. Right, so, right. Um, you you made a comment that um, you know we were for everybody out there. We were talking about concussions and you know the risk versus reward with with youth athletes. Then you're saying 
hey, man, for everything that I know and I experienced, I would do it all over again 100%. Yeah, and and for me, that's the the stance I take on it. I've got children too, and you think of, uh, I mean, you think about it differently in concussions in youth and and how you'd go about it. But the way I personally um, work through it in my own mind is, let's say there are issues or something comes up, or I I have cognitive decline and it's correlated to hockey. Um, right now, uh, I'll say I, I don't have any, right? And and I'll say with a high degree of certainty that if I had the chance to go do it all again, knowing the risks or knowing it, I would do it because at least, like, I feel that I really lived, like I chased a dream, and, and that's all part of it, right? And I think everything everything you chase, any success you have, you're going to have to sacrifice something, right? And for me, totally worth it. I would do it all over again. You know, and it's it's such a funny thing because I think it – it can feel short-sighted. Um, it can feel like you're carrying this bravado around and um, and this arrogance of, well, I'm young. I'll worry about that when I'm whatever, and I, I won't. I won't change this for anything because of all the things that you listed. And um, well, because we have to live in the here and now. You know, it's easy to say, well, I'll worry about that when I'm when I'm 50, 60 years old. Um, because all of this was worth it. Then you get to 50 and 60 years old and let's say something does happen. Sure. You know, it's, I'm, I'm curious, even with myself, am I going to have that same, that same attitude of like, you know what, at least I lived, you right. know, at least I, I did it. Um, I took on this immense challenge and I went through all the peaks and valleys and I, I did something and approved something to myself. I wonder if we're going to be saying that if that ever comes to pass. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. But then it's it's what do you value? Do you value years? You know, I, I say this about working out all the time. It's not about the time you put into work. It's about the work you put into the time. Um, and whatever that time is that you have, or in your sport, or in your life, like you put as much as you can into it. And for me, it's not about the time. So for me, it's not about the years. Um, and as you mentioned, that that's probably going to change. I'm mid thirties right now, whatever. That's fine. But um, for me, yeah, it's it. I don't see it changing in my mind. Good thing we're recording this. I'll listen to it maybe when I'm fifty or sixty. Like, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll put this in a time capsule, <laughs> right? A digital time capsule. Yeah, and we'll and we'll save it. We can go back and revisit it as we, as we're both drooling at our, on ourselves in some nursing care facility at fifty five <laughs> years old. You're like. You still think it's worth it? <laughs> yeah. you, you still think everything was worth it? Um, no, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation because I think both you and I, you being a professional hockey player, you know, former professional hockey player, me on the NFL side, we've we know people, and you hear the stories, and of course, I don't know about you, but I thought about that in my end of my career. Even though I don't know about you, I didn't have a ton of registered concussions. You know, they're talking about all the, all the sub-concussive hits and how that all adds up. I get all that, but I didn't have a lot of concussions to where I was really worried about it. But we know people, and so it definitely went through my mind to like, geez, man, it, it, is it true? Like, is, is it is this possible? Um, you know, do I have to be worried about this? And then you start seeing all the studies that come out. Like, it it was an issue, but now that I'm done playing – I, I don't even think about it. Right. You know, was that a thing for you? Like at the end of your career, did you kind of weigh all those options as far as and like, and how many concussions did you have? Yeah, uh, f- that's a fantastic question. Um, uh, I probably had many more than what were registered. 
Um, I, I was a bubble guy too, and I didn't have the luxury of time off. So if I had my bell rung, I wasn't going to tell anybody. Right. You know, I, I've had instances where the lights went out and you can't hide it. Right. And you're like, okay, that was one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't fake that one. Right. Like you're out. Right. Yeah. Um, but, and I have thought about it. And one thing I've, I think I've, I've decided is that like, I don't want to live in, in fear of something that I really don't know or fully understand or have a ton of knowledge about. Right. So I'm not going to be concerned. And that's, the, that's the way I approach the next handful of years of my life. And it's, it's ironic how just a couple minutes ago, we're talking about how we think at 60, we may be in that chair. I like to look at it completely different and say, there's no chance. And if it is, that's not the reason why. And I just think I have a, a choice or a decision to make that choice and not be fearful of it or not be fearful of the way I live my I mean, you could say anything. I could analyze any situation, right, uh, and how dangerous it is. And I mean, the fact of the matter is it's probably more dangerous for me to, to jump in the car and drive here to record a podcast than it is to play hockey for 10 years, right? Like, right. It, it's probably more dangerous, um, but I don't calculate it that way, right? So I, I don't want to live in fear. Um, I did think about it at times because you do read it. Um, now I choose not to read that stuff. Um, there's been documentaries and other things that I'll just choose not to watch, Um not because I don't want to be educated. I think I do want to be educated on it, mm-hmm. but just because um, I don't want any doubt in my mind, right? If I'm in a good spot, then I'm in a good spot. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's um, there's a lot of value in just living in the present like you were explaining. Like, why why dwell on the past? Right. Why think about the future? Why freak myself out about um, documentaries and articles that may that may be biased. You know, there there have been articles that come out even on the football side of things that like, well, it, it looks like a big number, a big scary headline, but it's not necessarily true. And a lot of people have like kind of debunked the studies. So why even get messed messing around with getting in the weeds with all that stuff? Just be in the present. You feel good now. You feel great. I everybody probably has like memory lapses here and there. Like, oh shit, what did I forget? Like. Or I came in this room for something, whatever. Right. That's natural. That's normal. Right. You know, just live in the present, uh, put a smile on your face and, and just go about your day. And then if it, if if that day comes and you, yep, all right, Ryan, like you get into a point where like you need to go get tested, then you go get tested and you deal with it then. Right. Um, I, I think that's a great approach to just like, I'm going to live in the present and just be happy now. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to be concerned. Like I said, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to. I don't want to have some self-fulfilling anxiety. Um, I don't want to have something in the back of my head where I do have a memory lapse and it's like, is that because of that? Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's always there. You're always thinking there's just this little dark spot in the back of your mind. Right. I just try to alleviate that right off the bat and um, no excuses. Just just live life. You know, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm going to assume that you get asked that question a lot from the hockey side of things from parents. Is it is it safe for my kid to play hockey? Like, what are you going to do with your daughters? Are they, are they going to play hockey? Like, you can allow them to do that. Well, well, at such a young age, you can allow them to do that. You know, like, how how do you feel those questions, and what do you say to those parents? I actually don't get that question all that often. Really? Yeah, no. Um, and I don't know if if hockey gets the headlines that maybe football does. Maybe just because football is such a bigger sport nationally than mm-hmm. hockey is. Um, but no, that's not a question I get very often in regard to like, is it a safe spot? Um, I, I think the other thing you look at hockey, um, and specifically the NHL, like the physicality is kind of leaving the game a little bit. Um, it, it's nowhere near as, as 
uh, dangerous. Now it's faster, right? It's faster. Guys are moving faster. They're stronger than they've ever been. But there there aren't the hits that there used to be. Like every guy's not finishing their hit, you know. And um, I, I think it's changed in that regard. Headhunting's kind of gone now. You've seen that even the heavyweights have gone out of the game, like like the tough guys. And, and those guys in hockey probably were the headliners when it comes to concussion and stuff because they really battle some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fighting all the time and, and the heavyweights and the anxiety leading up to knowing you got to fight some guy that's six seven and you know we're, we're out there on skates and on ice and uh we're not professional fighters yet we're the only guys that fight with all our gloves on right <laughs> yeah. why are we why are we the only ones bare knuckle fighting there's professional <laughs> fighters that wear gloves and that's we have point. we have gloves on so we take them off um can you uh, imagine the patty cake though if you guys kept the gloves on It'd just be a slap fest. It would it would look ridiculous. Yeah, it it, it wouldn't look as good. It would be you're right. It would look more like a basketball fight. I think <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, you got to have something to hold on to. Uh, yeah. That's the way the hockey fight works. But um, yeah, without without and and those guys have kind of been removed from the game. I think um, and some of those stories have and I think because of that, you know, hockey it just seems that it's going in a direction that's a little bit safer in that regard as well. Do you think it's making the game better skill-wise? Because now you're, let's say you're, take, you're taking away some of the brutes that are taking up a roster spot. Now you're replacing those guys with what you think could be, you know, fourth, four, you know, third and fourth line defenders, um, scorers, and all of a sudden now the the skill has upped. Do you yeah. notice an uptick in that as well? Yeah, yeah. I think that I don't think the high end skill has changed. I think probably the depth has. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some competitive advantages that are in there now in terms of maybe trying to roll four lines or the pace of the game is up and how fast and you know uh, or how much can you lean on your your top end guys. Where you know in the past it was you'd maybe play three lines and sprinkle the fourth. Now you see him rolling four lines and um, I think you see more of that stuff. Um, I, I do think now this is a hypothetical question, but um, I think you see hockey right now being a fast, skilled sport where it, it used to be a race to three and then you shut it down. Now it's maybe four, right? Like uh, you need to score a little bit more. You need to have a little bit more skill. Maybe you need to deploy three, uh, you know, three lines, three and a half lines maybe that can score. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, early 2000s, you could, you could have two scoring lines, a checking line, and then like the heavies, right? Um, and that would win you a cup. Now that that just wouldn't it, it can't keep up. You'd get outscored, right? So um, they've had to change it in that regard. But with that being said, I, I believe hockey the the competitive advantage is going to go back to the physicality because it's still within the bounds of the game to be physical, to hit, um, to you know assert your dominance through physicality. And I think the game's gotten a little faster, but a little smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next wave, I think, will be the big, heavy teams that will end up winning. Because, I mean, it's different, too. you get got a seven-game series to win a cup. Um, you got to beat the big boys seven times. More often than not, yeah. the big guys win. Well, it's interesting because I think, I think there's a lot of correlation between football and hockey, and that's one of the things that me personally, I, I enjoy and I have a, a higher respect for, for hockey than I do probably any other sport. Like, I enjoy baseball. But for me personally, it's it's um, when I look at the athletes, like they're not. F- I, I like I like the sports where the guys physically put something on the line, right? You know, and and I respect baseball and I respect basketball. I mean, you think about the NBA, and there's there's so few guys in the world that can do what they yeah. do, you know, and, and they have a 
much like hockey, they have a, a populace of a worldwide selection of like, hey, we, maybe we find the very best guy in Argentina or Spain or whatever. And they get to the NBA and they're like, ah, they're okay. You know, they're not, they're not high enders. So respect the game. But the, the, the correlation between a lot of people think in the NFL – it, it's going to this like college fast pace, spread it out mm-hmm. four and five wide. But you look at the teams that get in the playoffs and win, and you look at the way like let's say everybody wants to look at last year's winner as the blueprint for the for success going forward. And I'm sure that's the same in every sport. Yeah. Well, Tampa Bay with with Tom Brady, well, they won with a kick ass defense. They had a little bit more of a run game, and they had a controlled passing game. That's it. It wasn't a college spread it out offense. Um, it wasn't four and five wides. It was our defensive line is going to beat the shit out of your offensive line, and right. we're going to get after Patrick Mahomes, and we're going to make him uncomfortable. Well, the pendulum's starting to swing the other way. Now it's like, okay, well, let's find some bigger guys yeah. that that know how to intimidate and can play the psychological game. Right. And I and I think and it sounds like from you, you feel the same way about hockey. Like, yes, it's skilled and yes, we're getting the brutes out of the game. But regular season's different than playoffs. You get in the playoffs and it's a psychological advantage to have some 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 beef in there and some mean tough guys on the ice that can still throw their shoulders around. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. Game one, you 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 get hit and your shoulder hurts a little bit and that guy says, I'm coming for maybe six more. You're like, you you tell him to shut up, but at the same time, you're like, he probably actually is yeah, coming for yeah. six more. This is going to suck. <laughs> you know, and and that's a, a, that matters. It really does matter. Now, that guy on the forecheck next time, he he's saying, he's thinking, I, I'm going to spin all of this a different way because I don't want to get hit. Right. Um, and, and you might just take your eyes away from the puck there for a second because you might feel this yeah. guy coming up on you. Yeah, and that's all you want. That's all you ask for. Now he's changed his game. Now you talk to him, and then you're on it. But that's where I see it, too. I think hockey is a uh, – not just hockey, but um, – when it comes to sport, they're kind of copycat leagues. You see what wins, and then you try or or teams try to build that as quickly as they can, whatever won most recently. That's what I'm going to build. How do I build it? In the salary cap, right? And then all of a sudden they're chasing it forever, forever, until somebody comes up with like a slightly different model or there's a special player that comes and just changes like the way or the style the team plays. And then all of a sudden, okay, now this is how we got to do it. Now this is how we do it. And it it switches. Like, I mean, if you look in hockey, uh, the LA Kings in like the 2010, 12, 14, just big, heavy, not fast, Anze Kopitar, right? Like just win battles and wars of attrition. Um, And they won cups. And then it goes into now we're in Tampa who's looking at maybe winning back-to-back, and they're doing it on just high-flying speed and scale. Now, don't get me wrong. They've got a goaltender and some D2, but mm-hmm. uh, they want to outscore you, and, and they'd rather have it 6-5 than 2-1. Right. Um, that, that's such an um, – let me get your take on that right now then. In game one, I mean, just to timestamp this, game one happened last night. Um, they won pretty easily. Um, there are going to be a couple games before this is this is really broadcast. But who do you think wins overall between Montreal and Tampa Bay? Well, I got to give Carey Price a lot of credit. It's hard to be that good um, for that long, I, and I think it takes a veteran player. I mean, you've been in sport too. You you ride waves of confidence, 
Um, but eventually your bubble gets so big that it bursts, right? And every once in a while you lay an egg and then you kind of got to reset. Um, and then you got to refine that confidence and it takes a little time. He's been riding that bubble and managing it like, like extremely well. He's been fantastic. Um, yeah. pretty amazing actually. Um, but with that said, I think Tampa is just a little too deep. They just come in waves and boom, boom, boom. And, um, I think Montreal's there because of Carey Price. Uh, they, they've got some good pieces and stuff, but he's really been the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's he's played so well to the point where he could be like a 2003 J.S. Jaguar where he wins the Conn Smythe. Like, he could be the playoff MVP on the losing team. You know, Which is he, wild to think about. Yeah, and he's been that good, right? Um, so give him credit there, but I, I do think Tampa's going to end up winning this one um, uh, for their second in a row. So if that if we make this full circle, then if Tampa's gonna kind of win by this by this deep skill set scores, we're just gonna outscore you, all that stuff. How how would the Wild look at that? If it's a copycat league, how would the Wild look at that and say, hmm, what do we gotta do to manipulate our lines to make it look like that and compete? at that level. Like how many changes would have to be made to the wild situation to be right there? There'd have to be a lot. And then the flat cap arrow, which they're in right now, like there, you, you just probably have to take a ton of flyers uh, in the draft. Right. And just and, hope you get lucky. Yeah. You just got to throw darts and, and hope you hit something. <laughs> so you're saying for all the wild fans out there, just cross your fingers and hope some of these guys hit. <laughs> no, but the, we, we got to rewind. I think the story, uh, or, or like we talked about before, you find a different competitive advantage, right? Or you change something. Uh, you tweak something in a system that can beat them. Um, now, Tampa, uh, they're going to be in a spot now. And part of me wants them to win for this reason. Uh, they circumvented the salary cap this year. Um, so let's, let's just say for argument's sake, to make it simple, the salary cap was $80 bucks, mm-hmm. And they were right up next to it all year. Well, they have a guy that was injured, mm-hmm. Kucherov, who makes, I think it's $9 bucks. Um, but they kept him on long-term IR, which gives him salary cap relief until the first day of the playoffs. So then it's the salary cap is out the door because your payments stop the last day of the regular season. So there is no more salary cap. Yeah. But yet he's healthy at that day. Somehow, miraculously, he's healthy <laughs> on that day. So they've, had, they've got $89 bucks on their roster winning right now. Uh, with skill, that's at an extra $9 million. Imagine what the Wild could do with $9 million more dollars this yeah. month, right? You know, we're talking 10 11% more on their cap. That's their best player, right? You double him, right? So you get two Kaprizovs. And uh, Tampa's doing that right now. So, so was the injury legit to begin with? I think the injury was legit, but they were in, they were in uh, salary cap trouble at the very start. There's right. no question about it. So you can go to a player and say, hey, uh, you know, we probably can't fit you back. Otherwise, we're going to have to deal some guys. But it, take your time, um, and we'll get you back game one for the regular season. Take your time, meaning we're going to shelve you. Yeah. Even though you're healthy, you might be healthy for, you know, eight, nine weeks. But we're going to keep you on the sidelines because if we make it to the playoffs, you're back in. You're back in. Game one. Game one. And and that's how it went. Like it's you you can't tell me that it's and that's totally legal. It, well, it's totally legal, but that's why it's like circumvented. That's why people right. are going to throw a fit, right? If if they win again, right? Because that's not legal. What they did is not okay. And without Kucherov, well, ethically or legally? Well, it it is legally, but and I think they're they're going to win the cup, or if they do win the cup, it's going to count. But there's going to be a rule changed that says, okay, you, you can't do that anymore. Right, right. Like if a guy is on LTIR for 
let's I, I don't know how they're going to change the rule, but if it's for 75% of the season, he's not eligible to play in mm-hmm. the playoffs or whatever they're going to do because teams then are incentivized to do something like that. Right. Right. You know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I say good for them. Good for Tampa Bay. You know, if if you, whether they intentionally did it or stumbled across a loophole and they manipulated it in a way that is going to possibly ultimately benefit them to win another Stanley Cup, I'll say I applaud you. Like, you, you didn't really cheat. You just kind of found a loophole. Yes. And if there's a if there's a loophole to be used and you're smart enough to figure out, now you're saying, well, that's not fair. Well, why is it not a, not fair? Well, it's because because we as an organization had smart enough people to figure that out. Like, that's not cheating. That's just a competitive advantage. You right. know? And Bill Belichick gets ripped all the time. Now, they have done some stuff on the football side that is deemed illegal, but he's always trying to find a loophole. And right. if he pulls off the loophole... You might be mad at him, but be more mad at yourself that you didn't figure that out in the right. beginning. You didn't have smart enough guys on your staff to figure that shit out. Right. No, I agree with you. Um, but the, in, when it comes to the NHL, I, I think they've changed rules in retrospect um, uh, to make things harder for clubs like that and punish them. And a perfect example is the Minnesota Wild. You look at the the contracts of Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. Those were legal. Um, and now they're illegal. Uh, but they're being punished with the cap recapture uh, as part of the reason why I mean, we could get into it. But that's why they're in trouble right now in terms mm-hmm. of dollars and cents and um, going forward. Um, it wasn't illegal when they signed him. And so they, what makes it illegal now? Uh, they've maxed it out now at eight. And so what, what happens they is signed, a, there's they a back diving contract. $100 million contract. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite simply put this way. Um, they signed 13-year deals that were actually 10-year deals. And it brought their average annual value down. So mm-hmm. like what they'd make per year down by three years, right? So yep. it's divided over the 13 years. So it brought it down. Where maybe it would have been 10 million bucks, it was 7 million bucks. So now the team has three extra more million to spend while they're playing. With the intent that maybe they're not going to play it those last three couple years um, for that limited amount of money. So it went from like real dollars out the door, 10 million, to 1 million. Mm-hmm. So their salaries went from, and this is not exactly their deal, but just for example, right. $10 million is what they were making for the first 10 years, $100 million. And then $1 million the last three years just to bring their average down. Right. They were never going to play those last three years for a $1 million. The intent was to retire or be done playing. Right. Right. But it just brought their value of their contract down. Yeah. So that it's they an accounting deal. Yes. They said, no, 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 no. Those were legal, but now they're not. So they implemented the cap recapture penalty. So any that $3 million that they had extra over the first 10 years now has to be recaptured. So that $30 million has to be made up in the end. And that's where they're saying, so those last three years, mm-hmm. you will be paying $777 million until you recapture all that money that you had the uh, that you benefited before. It's probably complex to describe on on, on radio, but um, yeah. But the league, my point with it is, the league went back and said, "Oh, we're going to punish you for for circumventing that rule. You found a loophole, you mm-hmm. used it, mm-hmm. but now we're going to punish you for it." Yeah. So now, how do they handle Tampa with that? You found it. You found a loophole. You used it. Now, how do we punish you for it? See, and I think that's a little that's a little bullshit because how do you retroactively make a rule? They should be grandfathered in. It should be like at the time at the at the time that they signed the contract, and and the league approved it. They used the loophole, so now you're going to say you know X number of years inside that contract. It's like no, 
Now we're going to make that illegal, and now we're going to punish you for it. Well, well wait. Why are you punishing me right. for, some, for something that was legal at the time? Right. I mean, that's like, that's like any rule. How can you go back and, and punish somebody when something was legal – and now it's illegal, and you're like, oh, but you've been practicing that for the last several years, so we're just, we're going to ding you in the in the organization. That doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. But that's what I'm saying. The the league has set precedent that they that they that will they do stuff do, yeah, like they that. can do that. Yeah. yeah. So how are they going to handle this one? And that's where I'm interested to see if Tampa wins, how everything is handled. Hey everyone, I'm happy to interrupt this podcast to thank one of my sponsors, PreviMedica.com. PreviMedica is the maker of the all-cat food sensitivity test in which I am a huge, huge fan of. I didn't realize that for most of my life, I was allergic to wheat gluten. That was the reason why I had uh, giant hives, my lips would swell, I've had to use the EpiPen one time. I didn't realize that the migraines I've been dealing with my whole life have to do with an intolerance to soy amongst a bunch of other food uh, additives and food products. In the all cat food sensitivity test helped me pinpoint and gave me control over what I put into my body and thus eliminated a lot of these stressors in my life. If you feel like you're somebody that has brain fog, uh, emotional distress, uh, maybe you have skin rashes, maybe you have a skin condition, maybe there's something going on where you just can't figure it out. The all cat food sensitivity test can help you figure out what that is. They test from 50 to 200 different types of foods, also herbs and molds and antibiotics, over-the-counter drugs. So maybe you're somebody with celiacs or IBS or Crohn's and you want to figure out exactly what is affecting your body. I urge you to go to PreviMedica.com. Click on the all-cat food sensitivity test, figure out which was the best for you, and take control of your life. And use the promo code BEN-20 for 20% off of your order. That's right, BEN-20 for 20% off of your order. Get control of your life with PreviMedica.com. It's fascinating that um, you, know, you, you talk hockey all the time. Were you always this involved with the things outside of hockey, the, the salary cap stuff, you know, the things that kind of the ancillary stuff that happens on the outside? Like when you were when you were a player, were you just focused on just being a player or were you pretty in tune like what was going on contract wise, all, all the, the business side of, of the sport? I would say not. Uh, and that's actually funny because I don't consider the hockey outside like the salary cap side, the business side of sport whatsoever. For me, that's like ticket sales and corporate mm-hmm. sales and all that stuff, trying to get people in the building. Um, but the the hockey side, the salary cap, the whole nine yards, yeah. Um, I was a union player rep for a couple of years. Um, and it's it's also different because for me, you know, gosh, I played 10 years. I probably signed five or five contracts, right? Yeah. So, you I, like, I always had to be in it. I didn't sign, like, a 13-year deal where you can just hit cruise control and yeah. hang, you know. Yeah. Well, it's out of my control. So I always had to be like, okay, how many contracts can we have? What's the salary cap? Okay, uh, w- what can we get? How many guys do we have? And and yeah. just think about it all the time. Um, uh, and then, you know, hockey had some big deal with escrows and cap escalators. So there's a lot of reasons why I need to figure it all out. And, um, yeah, I was a finance major in school too, so that stuff just always interested me. Oh, so that makes more sense. That makes, So, I, I mean – I, I was I was a business major and I had to take finance class, but I just kind of cruised through finance. Class. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really, um, you know, it's it's uh, it is interesting. I think that I think that people's backgrounds and your and your present situation at the time truly dictate like how involved and that you should be. I mean, being a player rep, you got to be involved because 
the guys in the, the guys in the locker room they're going to come asking you, "Hey, what's going on?" and you're right. like, "You got to have answers." Right. Um, it's good that you had the financial background and the financial interest. You know, I was a player rep for a couple of years and I got to say like a lot of that crap was just over my head. It was like they 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 dropped down the CBA and it was, you know, 200 pages and it's a bunch of legal jargon. I'm like, "You want me to understand that?" Right. You know, I had to rely on my agent all the time. Like, okay, so what does this mean in real dollars? What does this mean? How does this, how do I fit in the team? Did you still rely on your agent like that to say like, okay, here's how I kind of understand it. But could you just kind of like solidify and reaffirm that this, I'm looking at this the right way? Yeah, I think so. I think probably lean more heavily on the PA and the people at the PA to to read through some of the stuff and and see what your options are. Um, you know, in, in terms of waivers, what you're eligible for, like, and, and it starts in hockey right off the bat. Um, uh, I don't know the rule now, but um, when I started in Anaheim, you're in a hotel for 56 days was the number, and then 56 they don't even have to tell you. You can just go out and get a place, and then if they trade you or send you down, they're on the hook to pay for it. Um, but they're not going to tell you at 56 days. They're not going to be like, yeah, go get a place. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're on the hook. They, they, they don't <laughs> yeah. want to tell yeah, you. They, yeah. They're not going to tell you. So, I mean, you got to figure some of that stuff out on your own, but then you also need to figure out like, hey, I don't want to ruffle any feathers in the organization and act like uh, I'm more important than I am or uh, do things the wrong way. So, I mean, you, you try to navigate it the best you can, but there are rules put in place to protect the player and protect the club. And um, I think good Good management and good coaching staffs understand that players should have a, a good understanding of what mm-hmm. what they what they should do, how they should do it, um, and then the levers that they have and to use them. Yeah. Now you mentioned earlier when we first started, you you kind of described yourself as as like this perpetual bubble guy. I'd like to think that because of that, you had this grinder mentality where you had to look at everything in a 360 circle you had to look at every angle figure out how you're going to make the team what happens and all that stuff not to say that obviously you can go back and change everything but would you change the way your career went knowing all the benefits that it's it's kind of proven to you now like i I gotta think as an analyst and what you're doing now and the way that you look at the game benefits you from your position of the of of your ten year career versus a guy that signs a ten or thirteen year contract, uh, gets guaranteed money and you know hits the cruise control button. Yeah, I, I think you do look at things from a, a different perspective. Um, you know, it it's not easy. I mean, you go into a situation, you're like, can, can I make this club? You don't know. Does the coach like me? Don't know. Okay, what do I got to do? Okay, it's funny because I'm competing against uh, the other jersey, but actually it's the guy sitting next to me that I'm really competing with. Um, he 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 actually doesn't like fighting, so that's a differentiator. I'm going to go out next shift. I'm going to do it, right? And um, Okay, so I, I got that one figured out. What's my next battle, right? And where's my next area of focus? And just to keep going in the grind and – Man, when it comes to my career too, it's it was crazy. People say, but the years fly by, and um, every year was such a grind that you're in it all the time. And ten years flew by; it was like boom, so fast it was over. Um, but when you ask, would I change anything? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever looked at it from that perspective. Where um, the the things I do now, uh, I draw on a lot of that experience. Um, I think I, I put so much value on playing and it's, it's so sad because the amount of time that you can do that is, is finite, right? Like you, and y- there's, there's, leg- there's nothing you can do to fight off father time, right? Like I can't go back. There's nothing I can no. do. So I put so much value on that time. 
um, that I would change things to to maximize that time that mm-hmm. I had in my life. Um, but yeah, I, I would change things. I always tell everybody now, especially young kids, that I, I don't think I set my goals appropriately. Um, in what way? Uh, I think I set a goal to maybe play in the NHL. And then once I got there, I was semi-satisfied. I don't think I hit my maximum potential as a player. Because once I got to the stage, I was just comfortable being on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I played with guys, and it took me a while to understand. You play with guys who their goals were completely different. Their goals would be to be the best player that ever played at that position. Um, and those guys are unique. And there's no other motivating factors for them other than simply just to be the best. Um, I never had that thought, right? Yeah. I never had that thought. And I'm like, man, but because I never had that thought, I was never going to be that person. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times you can sell yourself short if you just don't set massive goals for yourself. Um, you know, the things I did, which I'm proud of, other people would be extremely disappointed in. Right. Yeah. Just because their goals were set much higher. Yeah. Um, and I think that sets your floor. Right. And uh, if I could go back, that's probably the only thing I'd change is set much bigger goals. Yeah. And, and I think recalibrating your goals is um, is what you should we all should be doing as well. You know, I, I, I kind of follow a similar path as, as you, you know, we, we both played 10 years. Like I didn't have a pro bowl. I was never an all pro. Um, but, and I look at some of the guys that were, and I'm like, man, I, I just don't know if I was, I was focused. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like there are times where I just had my blinders on, but there was another level to what some of those, those like, you know, elite guys were doing that yeah. I'm like, I, I'm not even sure I knew how to get to that point. You know, right. you know, I see what you're doing, but I'm not even sure. I and, I and I feel like I'm working my ass off too. But I don't even know if I can get to that level um, of status. But I, you know, it's it's funny because, um, you know, I was I was probably pretty happy just kind of getting there. I mean, I remember, and and I think part of that was just like I wanted to stay humble. You know, so when I like when I first got in the league, you know, you're getting like interviewed about it and and people would ask a question and you're like, man, I'm just I'm just happy I got selected. I'm just I'm happy I'm here and I just want to try to make the team. And you just kind of like tell yourself to just kind of have this maybe this ho-hum attitude, like just be humble, just keep working. But maybe things would have been different if yeah. I said if I said outwardly, yeah, it's cool that I'm here, but this is not this is not where I just where I want to be. Like, right. I, I'm I'm going to be a starter and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then and that like. I kind of wish I kind of wonder what what my career path would have looked like if I did have that more outward expression of like no these are my goals and I'm not ashamed to say them. Right. And that's what I love about uh I've never been in like a draft room or or the the operations side like the hockey operations or whatever it would be for football and you they get the chance to interview these guys and I wonder how much value and I love watching the draft for this reason. Um not to see where people are selected, I want their comments. I want to see like what what how he thinks and I know I only get 30 seconds to see that or soak it up but I want to know like um how much confidence does this guy have then I follow him then I want to follow him you yeah. know um and see how he does it see how he attacks it and just the mental side of it um because that, that, that interests me like if somebody that comes in with that much confidence is that appealing to an organization mm-hmm. or do they like somebody that's a little bit more humble willing to work you know um uh, I don't know the answer to it um it, it's super intriguing to me but but um, it's difficult though because Guys are coached, you know? For sure in the NFL. For sure in the NFL. Yeah. They're coached to say, I'm good at this. This is what I bring. Yeah. This is my value. Yeah. 
and and they practice it. Believe me, <laughs> these agents, these agents who are making a piece of their their money off the commissions, they want these guys to be as high valued as possible. So they're going to put these guys. Not only just like, hey, here's a piece of paper on some questions that you're going to get, and here's how you should answer them. They practice them. That's as crazy. much as they practice the three-cone drill, as much as they practice their stance on their 40 and getting their weight on their front foot and all this other stuff, they put hours and hours into all the drills. They put hours and hours in like how you present yourself in front of other people. So that's the other – that's the cat and mouse game that I think is interesting is like, is this guy full of shit or does he actually believe it? Right. That's – that. like I think – most of these guys come in and say all the right things. Right. You know, Ryan, what are you going to do for our organization? I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be an all-star. We're going to win a Stanley Cup. We're going to do this. Well, does it look like you believe it or not? Right. And is he coached to say that in a way that looks like it? I mean, that's the fascinating part. Like that. I, I don't know how those guys do it. I don't know how the evaluators like, no, that guy's full of shit. Right. <laughs> well, they have to have some type of radar on that, right? Like that has to be part of the draft process. Like a couple of questions here and there. I don't know what it is. You know, the personal aptitude tests. I know I had to take those and I was draft eligible. But, um, yeah, it's it's different. Um, it's interesting. Uh, but I, it's, it's funny because I look at it too. Um, and I could get out of my body what other players that were better than me. We had the same output. But somehow they were a better player, right? And, and for me, it was all, okay, so it's mental. So there's some type of mental thing I'm missing because mm-hmm. our bodies have the same output. We can do the same things. It's just he can do it at different times or um, in the right spot where I don't have that. And that's something I need to either figure out or or I won't be as good, right? Yeah. And, um, so the mental side of it to me is so intriguing. Well, and, and the thing is, when you look at that that top level of any sport or any athlete or any profession – the differences aren't as big as you think. No. You know, and that's why I think it's so I think that's why the chase is is so intriguing and it's so fun because you feel like, well, I'm as good as that guy. Like I'm doing the same thing that he's doing, but from a mental processing point, his his compute his mental computer might just click a little bit faster yes. than yours. You know, in that moment where, you know, and that's the fascinating thing that, that I love about your guys' sport is is it's constant creativity and vision. Like there's so many moving pieces. You know, in football, we have design plays. You know, we, we can draw lines about where you're supposed to be. And maybe to a certain ex- extent, that's what you guys do, like on some of your, your, your penalty kills and some of your, your special teams operations. But by, for the most part, you don't know where the puck is going. Right. You have to think and react instinctively. And maybe that guy who has the same output just thinks a half a second, a fraction of a second faster than you. And that's tough to digest. Yeah. You know, because that's just who you are and that's just who he is. Yeah. Or he's a step ahead of me where he knows what I want him to do and he's showing me that information because he's actually setting me up to do what he wants me to do. And then he executes his plan. You're like, he just, the son of a bitch just got me. (laughs) (laughs) And then you know, you're like, he's good. Yeah, then you yeah. know he's good. He's good. And same same body, same skill set. He's just smarter. Like, yeah, he just gets it. Yeah, and you're like, damn it. And that's such a weird intangible when you like that guy gets it. He just he just gets it and operates at a different level. And that's why I say to a lot of parents too. Like a lot of parents sweat in the early ages because they think their kid needs to specialize in sport at ten years old. I'm like, you don't. I mean, it. Your kid, if he works hard and puts in the sweat and does it, like he's going to have the opportunity to be just as skilled, just as strong, just as fast as most of these other guys. And if he does work that much harder to where he has a fraction of more like of that physical 
giftedness or athleticism than the other guy, he has to be able to use it mentally. And I should say she too, because I have all daughters, and that's who who mm-hmm. I'm working with. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 like at some point it's going to come down to the mental side of the game. And um, is your child or is your athlete? Do they have that? And that's what you should almost train more so than the physical side. But how you do that? Now that's the great question, right? How do you do it? Yeah, the, I, I think I think that's it's up to coaches, it's up to parents to kind of. S- see that you know and recognize that because i think we do we are very tactile and our eyes want to tell us like oh well physically this kid can do this like we want to we want to hang our hat on the fact that the evaluation at a young age comes from a physical standpoint like oh well that that kid's just more coordinated than that guy yeah now they might be more coordinated but you know in two or three years when their bodies and their their mind makes that connection to their to their arms and legs maybe that's not the case like how do you evaluate at a young age like Oh, that kid just kind of gets it. Like that yeah. kid has the work ethic, or that kid has the desire and the passion for right. it. Maybe not as skilled right now. That's you're right. You're 100 correct. That's what we should be propping up and right. saying, like, "Hey, this kid's got something." Like, you know, they they really want it maybe more than the most talented kid on the team. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you look at it too. I say that. I say this with young kids. I mean, let's say you're small in hockey and you're getting the first year of checking. You're just getting you're a defenseman. You're just getting crushed, right? Um, that skill set. I mean, you're going to learn how to not get hit all of a sudden because it stinks. And then if mm-hmm. you can learn how to navigate the game and not get hit, you're better off. So all of a sudden you get to a spot where you hit a growth spurt, right? And um, now you're physically there. But you learned having not been in a big spot or having a big body or being the fastest guy, how to be hard to hit, how to give misinformation and then use it to your advantage, right? And then now all of a sudden you have the body and the skill set to do these things. And now you've gone from just being a guy that gets um, beat and loses battles all the time to somebody that wins almost every single one of them because he not only has the size, he has the smarts too. Mm-hmm. What was your upbringing like in that, in that realm? Like when you were, when you first put on the skates, um, was it a challenge for you? did it kind of come naturally? Um, did you have to progress and have, you know, all, all these, you know, kind of specialized clinics to kind of build up this stuff? Like where were you as a young athlete? Yeah, no, um, no, not at all. Uh, I could tell the story. Nobody in my family's ever played hockey before. Nobody really knew it. My dad can't skate. My mom can't skate. Um, nobody knows it. But we, I grew up in a neighborhood. I'm a product of my environment where uh, the neighbor played college hockey at the University of Minnesota. He had two boys my age, and they put a rink in the backyard. I just told mom and dad, hey, I want to go out there and play. Hey, I want to go out there and play. At what age was this? That was probably like four. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to go out and play. Um, they're like, okay. My dad bought me a stick the wrong way because I threw a ball right hand. He bought me a right handed stick. I go but out you're there. left handed. Yes. I'm playing it the wrong way. He's got to go back to the store. He's so rattled. Now he's got two right handed sticks sitting in the garage. He's like, I don't, what am I going to do with these? Can I stop you for a second yeah. right there? Yeah. So, my, my youngest boy, Wells, who you just met, same thing. I, I'm the parent. Same thing happened to us when he when he first started playing sports. He throws right handed. So when he wanted to play hockey, and we signed up for like learn to skate and all this stuff, and they started implementing the stick, I got him a right handed stick. Well, he couldn't figure it out. <laughs> he swing he swings left handed. Yeah, and, and I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. This this kid needs a left handed stick yeah. because he swings a baseball bat with his left hand. He swings a golf club left handed, but he throws right. He like. He threw me off. Right. So I got this misfit uh, gear. Uh, nothing really works right. Then I grow a little bit, and I need some legitimate shoulder pads. Um, my dad buys uh, football shoulder pads 
because he's like, because oh, I played football no. too. So it's two for one. So you're going to use oh, the yeah, football yeah. shoulder pads. Yeah, I can see that. And on there. the ice too. So I just look like a linebacker out there trying to stick handle and shoot. Eventually I'm like, dad, I can't, I can't use these shoulder pads anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I went to my old pair. So just like tight, way too small. Ended up playing with those. But um, that just kind of, I think, illustrates uh, where it came from. I just learned on the pond um, and actually just a little rink out in the backyard. Um, loved it. We played all the time. There were some older boys in the neighborhood that uh, that were good, and I just played against them and tried my butt off all the time and um, eventually fell in love with the game. And, and when it came right down to it, um, my dad was a football guy, coached me in football all around. That was the hardest conversation I probably ever had. I was saying, Dad, I'm choosing hockey. Oh, I gotta what give, age was that? I got to give football up. Uh, that was probably 16. Ooh, that's rattled, tough, man. Yeah, it rattled me because the football coach at I went to White Bear Lake High School, he's like, um, I had a chance to play in a select tournament, um, be a better player or, you know, be around college coaches or junior coaches um, in this tournament. And I was like, hey, coach, I got to play in this. It's on it's on Thursday nights. Um, it's after practice. Football has priority during football, football season, but this is something I got to do. He's like, you're not skating and playing football. Um, and I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you got to choose one or the other. You're not going to be playing hockey and football at the same time. And I was hmm. like, what? So I was like, dad. I went home. I didn't know what to do. I was like, Dad, I, I don't know what to do. I got, I'm not playing football. I'm not not playing this hockey. So I had to quit. I had to quit football right there, that coach. Um, I tell that story all the time because I want coaches to hear it. Like, don't make a 16-year-old kid no. choose, right? No. If he's going to be there and he's committed to your sport, let him play. What the know? hell are you what, – what, football-wise, would you be missing on a Thursday night? It's right. That's what I mean. before a game. That's what I mean. It, th- there was no reason. It was just he's not going to let somebody on his football team play hockey. And I was like, okay, that stinks because now I got to choose. And I have to choose hockey, so that rattled me actually. Um, yeah, yeah. I well, that would at 16 years old. I don't even know if I'd, you know, I, I, I didn't have the uh, probably the the mental toughness or the the confidence to go to my dad and be like, um, so uh, someone's having a house party. Can I uh, go to like, you know, <laughs> uh, can I take the keys to the car and uh, go, like you know, talk about an awkward conversation with your parents, like. Um, I'm going to choose the sport that you guys know nothing about. Yeah. You know? And it was hard on him. I think he always wanted me to be a football player. Um, it, it was certainly hard, but I think that speaks to uh, some of the way I was raised too. He didn't He didn't go talk to that football coach. They weren't pounding his door down saying, this is wrong. They're just like, all right, you made a choice. Okay. Now now go do it. Um, they weren't going to go fight the fight for me. Um, so it was. Uh, I think that was really good for me too. Like uh, it set me off on. I had some independence in hockey. Yeah. Right yeah. away, and then I had something to prove. Yeah. So do you feel like from that conversation? I'm sure once the dust settled and the reality set in of like, okay, my football career is over. Did that all of a sudden slingshot you into this like hyper focus of like, well, I'm I'm a hockey player. Yes. Like not my, my identity is now a hockey player, and I better go do something about it. Yes, there's no question. Um, I can remember the year after that, too. I need a new set of skates. Um, my dad's like, how much are skates? I told him they were expensive at the time, six, seven hundred bucks. He's like, no chance, bud. Um, well, at the time, six, seven hundred bucks? Yeah, brand new pair of skates. It's probably like 2002. Yeah. Um, and I was, I, I want to be good. I was like, Dad, I need, I, I can't just go buy um, a cheesy pair of skates. If I'm going to be good, I need to be good. Um, in skates where you can get a lot of performance out of. Um, so he's like, all right, no chance. And then the next day he comes back to me, just gives me a blank check. And he says, just go buy those skates and just don't tell me what they cost. No. Right? Yes. So I went and bought those skates, but I tell you what, I wore the snot out of those skates. Yeah. Uh, yeah like, like you had real respect for those skates. Yes. And for him, 
Yeah. Right. It was like, okay, he, he didn't want to do it, but he understood that I committed. But then that also made me recommit like, okay, we're right. going to play. Right. Yeah. It's so fast. And then did you throw on the super expensive stick on top of that or what? <laughs> <laughs> that was the following year. <laughs> well, dad, this, this thing's made out of like graphite, titanium and diamonds. I don't know. That's like, right. you know, there's something about this is going to make me a better player. That, that was the following year. But then, uh, thank goodness that was like my senior year of high school. And then the, you make, you, once you play junior, they pay for your gear. So I only had to have that combo once. Oh my God. Yeah. That's that, that that's the thing that like, now that I'm, uh, we have the youngest one is, is getting more involved in hockey. And he told, just, just told me last night that he wants to be a professional hockey player. Um, hockey's expensive, man. It's super expensive. <laughs> like, and, and I heard it from all the other parents, like, you know, hockey's expensive. Like not only just the lessons and the tournaments and all the, and the, and the travel with hotels and all this other stuff, the gear itself is expensive. I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll deal with it when we get there. But you're saying back then I thought expensive skates were like 300 bucks. Yeah. Not like six, seven, you know, eight hundred dollars. Yeah, um, they've gone up now. Now it's even north of that, right? Like it's a thousand bucks, twelve hundred bucks. I don't. Does even it really know. make that big of a difference? I, I think you get the right boot. Um, yeah, yeah. I would. I, do they use like different steel? Like what? I, it, it's like it boggles my mind. So I'm tr- I'm trying to think about this quickly and the fact that if I buy a pair of football cleats, yeah. Okay. Well, I can buy. An expensive, or you know, a, a decent pair of Nikes, whatever, hundred bucks. If somebody said to me, "Hey, here's a pair of Nikes for eight hundred dollars," I'm like, "Well, how, how is it? How what does it mean? How's that going to make me a better player?" Yeah, what I, what I would say is this: like, um, if you just want to use the brand Nike, and it's not necessarily cleats, but uh, I would say skates kind of go like this: you just pick a pair of Nike sneakers, uh, any pair. And then you say, okay, well, there's this uh, this pair of Nike cleats, right? Like the performance you could get on, on the field out of a spike that's tightly fit that's on your foot versus like any old cross-training shoe. Like, you, like you're going to have slide. Um, you're not going to get the performance, right? Like there's going to just be some differences in a regular sneaker versus a spike. Um, hockey's kind of like that where you can just have like a, a – a regular old boot that's loose, um, that isn't as comfortable, that doesn't lock you in, and you're not going to have as much performance out of it. Right. And I think it takes some time to get to that point. Like that's not going to be for like an eight-year-old kid's not going to get a ton of performance out of the great boot versus right. it. But when you start, when you get up to 200 pounds and you can move yeah, and you have some power, yeah. um, you can change things, right? And you can get more performance out of it. And um, if you can't stay on your feet, you can't play hockey. So you, if you, you've got to find skates that you can stand up on. So let's flash forward. And, and, you know, I'm such a simpleton and um, <clears throat> I never claimed to have gotten great grades, but I'm, I'm looking at your, your bio and all this other stuff. And, and I'm trying to, I'm, I kept adding up, I kept counting with my fingers. Like, does this, does this make sense? Did you go to college at 21? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because 20. you played in Green Bay 20. at 18. Yep. So at 20 years old. Yep. You enrolled as a freshman, correct, at Mankato State as a twenty-year-old, correct. I'd committed before that, okay, um, and then went back to junior. They need, they wanted me to play another year, um, so yeah. I mean, if you look at Mankato, no, I bet you, I bet you, they have at least seventy-five percent are probably twenty-year-old freshmen, if not twenty-one-year-old freshmen, and that's pretty common across the board. I wouldn't say it's across the board, but for their program and the way they recruit, yes. Yeah, they want they want you. I think Mankato like knows that they're never gonna get 
the the best player in Minnesota. And mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, in terms of their culture, I don't even know that they want him. Um, they don't want the best kid at 18. They want somebody to go, to grind, to commit, um, to, to learn the things that you learn in junior hockey, then come to college ready to play. You're physically more mature. You're two years older. You're stronger. Um, you're smarter. You're more mature. And you can buy into a program, uh, a culture, and, and that's where they find their success now. Um, that's, a, that's where I fell into. I don't think I was probably ready at 18. I'm so thankful that I wasn't. Uh, I needed those years for sure to mature as a person. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it was fantastic for me. But yeah, 20-year-old freshman. It's so interesting that you, and I'm just doing this constant comparison to football and hockey, but you know, there's, you know, there's, um, there, every high school senior that's getting a, uh, it's going on to play football the next year at whatever level of college, you know, they're going right into the, the teeth of the tiger, you know, and, and to have this avenue where you can go play juniors and sort of find yourself in a, in a, in a way it's fascinating that that they allow that in hockey because you know, you've got 18, 19 year old guys um, competing for national championships on a stage in college football in front of hundreds of millions of people across the world watching these games. <laughs> and you're saying like, you know, it's good for you to kind of go off before you even get a college experience, before you even get to maybe those that big stage and saying, like, I had time to mature for a couple of years before I go into that. Like, it's a fascinating, like, contrast to see how the sports handle each other. Yeah, what I compare it to most is probably the red shirt, right? It, it's an off-campus red shirt. I mean, you have but to— But it can last for a couple of years. Yeah, it can last up until 20. So the, the way the junior leagues work is that you can't play above 20. You can have, like, a couple 20-year-old guys. Uh, but that's where they kind of wean you out. You're not going to play till you're 24. But— yeah. Um, uh, I mean, you look at it, uh, those guys that in the red shirt year, I don't know if it's more advantageous for the guy to jump into school and get into that and start with his academics and then sit there for a while. For me, it was really good to, um, I, I packed a car, I moved to Green Bay, um, I knocked on a door. I said, hey, I'm here to live. They said, cool. And then I had to learn all about somebody else and how they live, their laundry, how they cooked, what their house was like, how they run it, how to be respectful. Um, then also how to perform. Like I got a job to do. I got to be at the rink at this time. I got um, to be home. Okay, here's the game. This is when I got to eat and talk to these people and communicate and get what you need and work for it. Um, you put all that together, that probably got me more ready to play college hockey hmm. than what it was like on the ice, right? Like just in a mental spot, it was like, okay, I understand the world a little bit. Now I can just simply focus and go out and play hockey when I'm at college. Yeah, so you didn't come in, you didn't go to, to college and be kind of wide-eyed. No, it wasn't like, oh, I'm here to meet my friends. Yeah. Hi, who are you? Oh, yeah. you live in the corner dorm? No, didn't care. Like you care. didn't feel overwhelmed at no, all? No, didn't care. No. Which, which is kind of a fascinating way to think about it. You know, um, you know, Mormonism, that religion of Mormonism, they, they do that a lot with their, you know, their older teenagers, you know, that BYU and Utah on the football side of stuff on the, on, in those programs, they have a lot of 20 year old freshmen because a lot of those guys go out and do missions and they'll do their mission work for to, and they might go to, you know, third world countries and do that. And you talk to some of those guys and I was teammates with some of those guys and they're like, yeah, it, you know, it kind of sucks, you know, because it's you're getting you're kind of sh- getting shipped off. But for all those things that you talked about, like you learn a different culture, you learn how to be respectful to other people, you grow up quickly. So then when you come back to college, whether it's in Provo, Utah or, or wherever, um, 
you're you're better able to kind of handle the distractions of college. Oh yeah, you know, and better and better able to focus. And and uh, you know, across the college football landscape, sometimes people are like, well, that's not really fair because they've got guys that are you know they got seniors that are 23 years old, you know, 24 years old versus you know they're competing against 18, 19 year olds. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so there's a bit you know there's a big physical and emotional advantage there. Right. But it sort of works from a personal level as a human being standpoint. They really enjoyed that process, kind of like you're describing right now, going off to juniors and be like, I, I got to like kind of learn what life is like, then go do college. Right. And don't get me wrong, during junior, I didn't like junior. Junior sucks. You're, you're on a bus, you're going through the middle of cornfields, you're an overnighter, sleeper bus, two guys to a bunk. Um, you're watching old movies that you've seen a thousand times. You know, you're eating fazolis if you're lucky. You're staying in Howard Johnson's with, with cockroaches. Like it stinks, right? <laughs> it stinks. You're out there. Everybody can fight. Everybody's chirping. You're like, gosh, I really got to do this again tonight. All right, let's go. Uh, so Junior sucks. Uh, but in retrospect, it, it was really a good thing for me to battle through something that sucked because then it was like, okay, I'm ready to attack college. Well, yeah, it teaches you something. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it might, the grind might suck and the yeah. reality of life might suck. But in the end, is it really that bad? You know, like, yeah. I, I think then you get that perspective after you go off to college and, and then for you go off to the NHL, you're like, it was kind of fun. You know, I'm going to guess you're like, it was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, like the yeah. bus rides were great. I mean, they, the long, they're overnight or whatever, they're uncomfortable, but. The, I'm sure the stories and the antics and the behavior yeah. that happen on the bus, you would never take that back. That's the other part about, I mean, you, junior hockey and even being uh, a college freshman, um, you're, you, we instantly have 23 buddies, right? Like that's the roster. I got 23 buddies the moment I step on campus or the moment I step into that locker room. I won't know them for the first week, but after a week, I got 20 good buddies, right? And, yeah. and we're hanging. like-minded. Yes. And we're all in the same spot. Um, and I always say that that's the unique part about the NHL is you can go from an 18-year-old um, North American to you can be playing with a 43-year-old Russian. And it's completely different phases of life, different backgrounds, different languages all across the world. That's the only league that it's like that. Junior hockey, you're with 18 to 20. Right. And you guys are all in the same spot of life. You're all, you know, finding some independence and on your own and battling to play hockey, all fighting for a common cause. And then you go to college, it's the same 18 to 22, maybe up to 24. You're all fighting for the same thing. So um, those moments and those teams where you're with those 20 groups of guys, that that is fantastic. And there's I mean, you, you find some lifelong friendships. So when you got to college, did you feel like did you feel like an older guy? When yes. you're on campus, yeah, you, you could. Yeah, I felt like an old guy, um, and it's not that I, I like the other freshmen that because we lived in the dorm too. My other roommate was a 20 year old freshman um, from Elk River, <laughs> so yeah, and we were like sweet. Everybody wanted to hang out with us because we were knocking on the door, being able to buy him beer. You know, <laughs> yeah. they were like, yeah, yeah, these guys are in living in the dorm and they can buy us beer. This is gonna be awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you became fast friends with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, um, I, I felt different. Um, for sure I did. Um, I instantly walked in and felt like, you know, I was a junior. Um, like you said, not wide eyed in any regard, just ready to attack it. And school was no problem. Um, there was no issues at all. So, um, no distractions, piece of cake. And then from the academic side, did you feel like you had an advantage Going with a a twenty year old brain into some of these classes and able to process things a little bit different, look at things a little bit differently than maybe like an eighteen nineteen year old. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think some of it too is the the program did a good a good job of making sure like we had mandatory study hall and mm-hmm. certain other things like that. So there was just there was time set aside. Um, again, it's just about the time you put in. If if you if you went to class and you did your work, school was going to be easy. And at twenty, that was easier to understand than maybe at eighteen. Yeah, I I just think that you're making me really think about how I could do things differently with my kids. I mean, just this one conversation, you know, I'm for years, it's just like, okay, we're in the standard path, right? Our kids go K through 12. They take all their, all their SATs, ACTs, college um, prep exams, you know, as a junior going into senior year, all this other stuff like that's that part of it sounds kind of exciting to me, you know, just thinking about that prospect and like, Oh, where are my kids going to end up? But you bring up an interesting thing, a conversation for me to think about and my wife to think about, you know, a lot of kids will go and study abroad, you know, Mm -hmm. they'll get done with high school and take sports out of it. And they just say, you know what, I'm going to go study abroad and do something and maybe just travel for a year um, and go do that, then come back to college. Now I've heard pros and cons to that, but if you can keep your, your kids sort of within these guardrails of, of a path to higher education, I just think it's fascinating that I look back on my college career and and having to balance everything, going to a Division One university at 18 years old and being overwhelmed. And I and dude, I got a 1.8 my first semester. Now part of that was because I was partying my ass off, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Yeah, is that, that if you go out and take a one year hiatus, even just one year, and you go to college at 19 or going into 20. I think you actually set yourself up for a better chance of success being able to handle the overwhelming nature of college and the courses and be better focused because in the end, at the end of the day, when you put together a, a career and whatever you're going to do, sacrificing one or two years at the front end of that, who cares? Well, I say this too. Everybody seems to be in such a hurry to get where they're going. Um, it's like kids are living at home till they're 27 anyway. So what's the point? Like, why would I try to push my kids out at 18? Um, I got two August birth dates and we held them both back. So they're going to be old going into, and that was on purpose. Yeah. Um, it didn't matter if they were ready for kindergarten at five. Didn't matter. They were going to stay home. Um, and they're going to be a year older uh, going into college. And if they want, they can they can travel or do whatever. They don't need to go to college. I mean, that the hope is that they'll go. But they, I will not be in a hurry to send them. Again, if they're 20, 21 when they go, that's fantastic. Um, I think the other thing being more mature did is it, it eliminated a lot of the mistakes that you could make, right? Like, right. That, that's what, where I think a lot of people go wrong is that um, it's one big mistake that somebody makes where they, they couldn't see it coming or they didn't avoid it. I think the maturity allows people to uh, or allowed me to avoid that big mistake that would have cost me um, maybe everything, right? Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know, the maturity part of it is, is huge because, you know, you, when you're 18, 19 years old and you're just, I think that I look at some of the, the decisions I made at that point in time in my, in my life, you know, you, you feel like you're trying to be accepted. Yeah. You know, you're still in the, maybe in that high school mode of like, uh, I know that, the, I know deep down, this is not the right decision to make, but right. like I'm in the moment, uh, you're trying to make friends, you're Kinda trying to be liked, that person. trying to impress the person. Yeah. And you go and do something kind of stupid where if I, you know, came in as a 20 year old, I might look at that and be like, no, that's kind of, that's silly. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like you're just more self-assured and more confident about it. And we have this weird thing where like everybody wants their kid to be Doogie Howser. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, like you, you like what? It's like you, you almost feel like, did I fail my kids if I tell my friends and family like, oh yeah, they're a twenty year old freshman? They're like, what? What? Like, why is he like? A simpleton? Like, is he, he or she <laughs> yeah, slow? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like everybody wants to. Everybody wants to beat their chest. Like, oh, my kid went to college at sixteen or seventeen. Right. You're like, well, why? Yeah. Like, why are you pushing your kid out the door, and why yeah. you're making your kid go out in the world where it's a dog eat dog world, and they're going to get trampled on? Right. Why would you want to do that? Right. That's a hundred percent my stance. Is I'm not in any hurry. Don't I, don't be in a hurry to get where you're going. Um, just be on the path and take your time getting there and just make sure you do it appropriately, you know? And, uh, uh, my girls, uh, they'll have a lot of patience for me or I'll have a lot of patience for them in that regard. Just, you don't have to be in a hurry, even in, even in terms of being a, like a player, you know, like whatever it is, be patient, be yeah. patient. Well, especially when it comes to marriage, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be patient in selecting the right one. Be patient. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've only got one daughter and I, I, that's, it's already on my mind. Um, like, I, I just want, I'd be happy if you got married at like 30, Yeah, you know, like I'd be happy if you didn't date, start dating until you're 25. You've got three of them to worry about. Right. Don't remind me. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't want to forget to ask you about this um, because I think this, you know, obviously shaped your career and who you are. You found early, early success in your, in your NHL career by winning a cup. Mm-hmm. How did that, how did that sort of maybe reinvigorate you readjust your perspective on on your your career at that time if you could if you could go back to those moments and like the emotions of holding the cup at such a young age you know how did that um you know help or hinder your career going forward yeah it it motivated me in a way that uh that might surprise some um i i had a very small role in in winning that stanley cup that was a very good team um brian burke is the general manager and he still says that he'd put that team up against any team that's ever won a cup before and he thinks they'd win um i wasn't a big part of it um so in in some regards when when i had that chance it was weird because it's like I, f- I felt i didn't fully earn it um um and that i needed to justify it that that was a gift that was given to me and um i kind of resented it in that regard like I didn't earn this. I don't want it. I don't want this party. I don't want this. Um, but at the same time, knowing that, and you'll never see me wear my ring. You'll never see me talk about it. You won't see it on my resume. Um, uh, but it it made me hungry for another one in a, to justify that, to, to make it seem like uh, I belonged or um, had value in that spot. Um, and the, the run I had in 2012, it was, uh, that was super valuable. So bummed we lost. Um, yeah. Cause and it would have, right? yeah, yep. it, it would have validated it. And that's what, that's what, that's honestly all I was ever chasing, um, was to validate that first one and be like, okay, yes. Um, I did play a big role. We lost in six games. It stinks. But, um, I walk away from that series saying, okay, <clears throat> I can accept that one in 2007 now um we we got this far we made it this far i was a a a part of a team and and gave true value to it and and was a difference um we lost in six but um still uh, for me that's uh winning that one was it was tough and still there's still times i battle it you know like yeah you can come to my house everything will be hidden no you won't see it Um, yeah and i think dude i i think that that is um, perfectly acceptable. And, and I think that is more of a normal behavior and emotion to have than the opposite. 
because I think that you've probably seen guys um, that do the opposite, that have been in a different situation. And I've certainly seen it on the football side where a guy may have been um, you know, a, a low-level contributor to the success of the team or maybe injured, which is even which is worse. You know, when you're injured, I think in every sport you're, you feel like an outcast and, and it's, you don't feel like you're a part of the team. And it's, no, it's not your fault that you got hurt. But that's just the way it is. You know, life has to go on within the locker room, within the team. They've got to get ready for the next games and whatever. And you're just kind of over there in your corner doing your rehab and whatever. Um, but I know guys that win Super Bowls and they didn't do shit. And they walk around with their rings all the time. Yeah. And they'll and they'll talk about, yeah, I'm a Super Bowl champ. Like, buddy, you didn't do shit for that team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and I and I and I kind of look at them and like, you know, I get angry at them. Like, how can you not see this clearly? Like, how can you prop yourself up? on on the shoulders of other guys that did that did yeah. all the work. So I I think it's completely natural and I think that's the more normal way to feel about that situation. Let me ask you this though because uh, the the further I got along in it, I think um leadership is such a uh it's like a loaded word and I think it means different things to a lot of different people, but in terms of leadership for me, um uh later on in my career, I saw the value in including and in and pumping up the value in somebody that maybe had a small role, because no matter how small the role, it's still a role. And maybe the story doesn't go that way without your role, right? And there's certain things about it. So um, I, I think I learned some of it about being on that side of it, like not feeling a part of it. And not I'm not pinning that on any type of leadership, but just on the flip side of that, seeing people in that spot saying, hey, buddy, you maybe think you're not important, but you are. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's important. Your attitude's important, and how you do it. Like you could have brought a shitty attitude to the rink every day, and that maybe would have mattered in a negative way, but you didn't, right? And certain things like that. So, um, I, I like to honor those guys now in that spot because, from a leadership perspective, um, it really does take everybody, and I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, I, I think I had to. It took me a while to accept that, you know, um, but I, yeah. I believe it. Yeah, I, I just think that I guess going back to what I was saying that I think it's. It's normal and natural to be humble about yeah. about your contributions, you know, on on the ice or in in the, for for that Stanley yeah, Cup yeah, team. Yeah. Not to say that that you shouldn't be proud of it or you shouldn't honor it. It's just like kind of have some self awareness about it. Oh yeah, no as doubt. As well, you know, no doubt. But to to answer your question about the leadership thing, I think that's a hundred percent. There there is a butterfly effect to how a team and team members operate. You know, there is chemistry. You know, can can that guy that's um that doesn't play a lot, you know, is, is a fringe player mm-hmm. but is still in the locker room, still on the ice at practice. Um the way that he comes in to the to the arena every day, maybe there's a couple of times where you look at that guy and you feel an inspiration from him or <clears throat> he does something, or maybe he's the guy in the locker room that just kind of is the glue to keep everybody together. Maybe there's some animosity between this line and this line or these players and these players, but this, this guy's kind of the bridge to, to all that. Like there's tremendous value mm-hmm. in the character building of, of a locker room. So that, that definitely should be honored. And I, and I agree with you that the good leaders have a have a good understanding and the self awareness of of how the team is built, right? And making guys feel important, right? And saying like, "Hey, dude, you might be a be a scout team guy, but I love I love the way you give us this look, right? You know, like keep doing that, right? And that makes that guy feel validated yeah. and important, and just you're helping us, yeah, and you're helping us as a team, yeah, you're helping us, yeah, yeah, 
and I and I do think that that there is there are there are leaders out there that that wear the C that don't necessarily right. take it upon themselves to do that, right? You know, and I think that that should be propped at really at every at every level, right? You know, that we're not we're just talking profession like this, you right. know, in, in high school, and, that, and it's hard to do that too in high school to to come out emotionally and feel vulnerable and say like, hey, dude, like you might be a freshman, but you made this varsity team, right? And you might not be playing, but like your skill set and the things that you do, you're making this team better, right. and just that one little off conversation can dude can make that kids year right you know and to bring this back full circle that's where being a 20 year old freshman was is helpful and can be helpful because you you like you truly are competing in most sports with the guys on your own bench right or or you're competing with your own teammates um for ice for everything and um to have the confidence to be able to, to walk to somebody else and, and try to make them better um knowing that there's a chance that they're maybe going to take your job if they do really figure it out but just having the confidence to know that that's probably what's best for the greater good and still doing it. Um, I think that's another value to being an older freshman in that spot because the college guy can walk down and say, hey, man, I, I know you're new here, um, but you you have the potential. You're going to be great. You just got to stick with it or do this or, you know, you've got value. So as as we wrap all this up, um, I want to get your your thoughts on one thing wild uh, that's going on with the Minnesota Wild right now, and just your thoughts. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov is in a contract situation right now. Um, he wants a short-term deal so he can, you know, get be be a free agent as as many times as possible. Uh, I think the Wild want to lock him up for a longer-term deal because that it benefits them as well. How do you how do you see this whole thing playing out? I, I and and I look at it from Kirill's standpoint. I don't necessarily think he just wants a short-term deal so that he can become a free agent and fly the coop. I think you have to look at it like there's there's guys making an an a uh, 12 million bucks a year upwards of that, right? And we're in a flat cap and the Wild just can't give it. You know, and um, he's the kind of guy that could command that money. So you can assign an eight-year deal and and rip through a lot of your years where you could be making more. And just because the economics of the game right now are going to cost you potentially millions of dollars over the course of your career, so I think that's part of the reason why maybe he's interested in a short-term deal. You know, you you take decent money right now, and then you know you hit your long one. But I don't think that necessarily means that he's going to the Rangers like Panarin or flying the coop. Um, I think it's just maximizing his earning potential. Um, I, I also never look at it to blame the player because we talked about it before too. You have such a small window to make your money. You, I mean, you have to maximize it. You really do. Um, how does it play out? Um, the I have. I, I don't know. Uh, I see both sides of it. I think the more intriguing question is probably um, less what Kaprizov does, but how whatever they sign him to affects the rest of the team. Because I think they started to have, uh, you know, they've got a core built in Erickson, Eck, and Fiala, and Kaprizov's probably going to get what what he wants in terms of dollars, um, regardless of the term. Um, and what does that leave for the other guys? And are they going to be there? And what does that core look like now? Um, and then how does that become? How does he, Billy, or management handle that? Knowing that okay, well, Kirill's the first domino. Mm-hmm. We'll see who the second domino is, and then the third, right? And now you'll see who we value where, and then the dollars will line up, and you say, well, okay, now all of a sudden, like. Now I see where I fit, right? Now I see where they value me. 
right? Yeah. And things are going to change in that regard. But um, yeah, I, I I don't see Kirill signing an eight year deal. Um, uh, I also think it's it, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. I don't know what football is like. Now this is a super unique situation where you've got a guy that's come over and he's going to play fifty six games, not even a full season, and they're going to give him eight years and almost like like max money. Right on a really small sample size. Now that's not me throwing shade on them or, or having any doubt, but but that's uh, just a reality. That's the reality of yeah. it. Yeah, it usually it's going to take guys 250 games, and you're going to have a pretty decent sample size mm-hmm. before you get to a spot where you can earn or have the leverage to earn this kind of money, mm-hmm. right? And now he's in a spot where he can do it right off the bat. And if you're the wild, am I ready to commit an eight-year deal to a guy that I've only seen for 56 games? And everything he showed us is that yeah he's probably worth it. And um, in the COVID era, we were no we weren't in the locker room. You don't know. There's only 20 guys that know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and everybody says the right things, and I'm sure he is probably um, what they say he is. But there still has to be probably some trepidation where it's like, hey, 56 game sample size, right? And he he performed and did really well. Um, but can he do it over the long run? And that's the gamble. So eight years, I don't know where I see that falling. Um, if I'm management, I'm probably happy with a short-term deal and a long-term deal because you get some you get some probably cap relief in the flat cap era and a long-term deal. But it, I don't know. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting that as a player you have to think about too. Um, how how much did I benefit from a guy like Fiala and Eric Snack? Yeah, you know, and I'm sure his agents like you know, only propping him up, but I'm sure the team is saying like. You're good, you know. You're you're extremely skilled and talented, but this is a team game, and all, all those opportunities that you were given were because of these other guys on the ice. And so, like, yeah, you can look at yourself in a vacuum and say you're a good player, but you're you're not a one man show, right? And we're not going to pay you as a one man show because we have these other pieces that made you a better player, right? Yeah, and and there's that angle to it, and management's going to say, I only have so much money, yeah. like yeah. I. I'd give and, you, and, and I'd give you out, what you want. And that's outward. They can see that. Yeah. You know, that's all public knowledge right. too, right? I'd give you what you want, but I can't. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's just not there, you know? So, um, but I mean, I, he's, he's, I think he's going to be a special player. Um, I'll say this and, and probably in closing, we'll see where the dollar value comes in. But Carey Price, we talked about mm-hmm. him right off the bat. Only player that makes north of $10 million that's ever won a playoff series. Um, it's a team game. Mm-hmm. And if guys eat too much of that salary cap, you sacrifice the team. You lose depth. And then when it comes to a playoff series, it's just hard to win them without depth. Yeah. That, I mean, and that's a great point. It's still at the end of the day, it's a team game. And let's just hope that they can figure it out because it was a super exciting season. I think everybody understands the talent that they have on this team. And if they can keep everybody together and, you know, maybe add a few pieces here and there that, you know, maybe we're talking about them in June and, you know, maybe we're talking about them hoisting a cup, which um, would be amazing for this city and this community. So um, <clears throat> thanks, dude. This is awesome. I know that we're all kind of squ- squeezing this in this week. Uh, it, it is a holiday week. And so I appreciate the time. Yeah, no sweat. That, uh, it was fun. Good seeing you, man. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. All right. So that'll do it for Ryan Carter. Thank you guys all so much for listening. I hope you really enjoyed his insights um, and how he thinks about uh, what makes a great player great in any sport, 
any profession. Uh, I really appreciate Ryan taking the time out uh, to sit down with me. And I also want to thank my sponsors. Can't thank them enough. Douglas and Todd Bourbon award-winning gold medal bourbon made right here in the great state of Minnesota. You can find it at douglasandtodd.com. Please go ahead and do that. There is a store locator icon in the upper right-hand corner of said website. You can find the nearest liquor store that supplies Douglas and Todd. Please go do that and enjoy responsibly. That's the disclaimer I have to put out there. Uh, I also want to thank PreviMedica.com. Don't forget that promo code is Ben-20 for 20% off of your food sensitivity test that you can order from PreviMedica.com. If you're like me and you've been going through life where you have an ailment or something going on that you just can't pinpoint, I guarantee you it has something to do with what you're putting in your body and the all-cat food sensitivity test can help you find what that is and help you take control of your health and wellness. It's PreviMedica.com, Ben-20 for 20% off your all-cat food sensitivity test. Uh, That'll do it. Thank you guys all so much. Please keep subscribing. Please keep telling your friends, your family, your loved ones, everybody on the streets about Unrestricted. Um, Go to all the platforms. Please like it. Please submit some uh, some feedback. I do enjoy reading what everybody says about this podcast and how it can get better. And, uh, And that'll do it for me. Once again, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.